I just want to begin our time together in a word of prayer um, just for all those who are traveling this weekend as we think about them as well as all those who are sick amongst us who are at home caring for us with with their distance (laughs) Um, so that we also do not uh, catch what has become an epidemic pretty much in our nation uh, with the influenza. Um, So let's pray together. Our Father, we do thank you for the opportunity to gather this morning. I thank you that you've kept us healthy enough to bring us together this morning and to learn from your word, to spend time together, yes, confessing our sins, and then basking in the glorious grace that flows from the gospel so that we now know how to live into what your word calls us to, freedom uh, that flows from Jesus. And we ask, Lord, that in this time that that you would be speaking to us by the power of your Holy Spirit, enlightening our minds, uh, stirring our hearts, and empowering our hands and our feet to do your good deeds that you've laid out before us to do. Um, We are thankful to be called your children, and we are excited uh, to learn from you. Teach us, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I wanted to begin uh, actually with a question, and it's not rhetorical. It's, It's, you know, it's interactive. And so since we're a smaller crew this morning, I figure this is really easy. Everybody's super comfy with one another, right? (laughs) Um, So I want to ask a question. What do we need to hear? What do we need to hear or what do you need to hear when everything in your life seems like it's against you? What do you feel like you need to hear when everything in your life is coming against you? My mom always says you'll get through it. You'll get through it. Okay, so encouragement to persevere. Okay, good. Good. Eliana. You need to hear Jesus. You are a profound girl. You know that? That's great. What do you need to hear when everything in your life seems like it's against you? I think you always need to know that God is in control. He's a sovereign God. He's in control. Yes. Exactly. Very good. What else? Heather, yeah. Hmm. Very good. Yeah. It's just for a season. Mm-hmm. Hear a lot of language of perseverance, a lot of answers of hang tough, a lot of answers of God is in control, that's why the perseverance is possible. Very good. Well, I would like to say, um, in light of all of those answers, yes, but even more than that, and even these pictorial presentations of those answers, I think we need to hear stories. Stories of how these truths have become real in other people's lives. Um, You know, stories of when God was actually working in the midst of chaos, confusion, pain, to bring about an unforeseeable good for his people. We need those stories, don't we? You know, it's it's our mind's eye or our imagination when these stories are told to us. It's one of the greatest pathways of encouragement to our heart. And let's be clear, we, we don't necessarily need fairy tales in those moments. We need true stories. Those that are touchable, earthy history, you know, that have been lived out on our planet. Um, It's those stories of real people who've traveled through the shadows of the valley of death 
and come out the other side to experience the joy of life and life abundant. We need those stories to inform and to encourage us along the journey and also to help us interpret our pain. Um, In our imaginations, this mind's eye is one of the best ways to inform and form these interpretations of what's happening in our lives. It's through these stories that we come to see our world, that we come to see our pain, all of our pleasures, as God sees it, as, as it really is. And you know, I, I remember uh, when I was younger, one of the closest stories that's still to my heart, that still forms my perspective on how I see the world, was when I was younger, a teenager, um, and how my mother went back to work. She used to get up early uh, in the morning, take the bus to work, and, and work 50 plus hours a week. Um, and then come home and somehow play the role of both mother and father for me after my dad um, had left us. And she would work so tirelessly and try to make it to my games. And I remember still waking up early on Saturday mornings sometimes. I'm an early bird. <laughs> that's why. <laughs> to, to the chagrin of some of the guys, that's why the men's Bible studies at 6 a.m. Um, but uh, the, I would wake up early on Saturday mornings and find my mother praying over her Bible. She didn't know I was watching, and sometimes I would catch her crying over her Bible, just wrestling to continue on, trusting the promises of God's Word. And even my sister, who was 16 years old, she was homeschooled, she went and got a full-time job to help pay for the bills uh, in our home. I was too young to get a full-time job at that time. Uh, I was the young buck. Um, But I still remember both of their perseverance and their commitment, yes, to their family, to their church, to God's Word, and, and just to what, where, where God had them. And God blessed us in that. We had this profound joy in the midst of our brokenness. And, and years later, even come to find that my mother, um, after a very painful divorce, uh, found a wonderful man who loved her the way she always deserved to be loved, uh, my stepfather. And uh, even took us kids uh, to be as his own kids. Um, you see this great story of perseverance and strength. And I still remember sitting in the car at times and uh, talking with my mom on the way to church. And uh, I'd say, you know, you think we'll ever understand why we got to go through this? <laughs> and she goes, maybe someday, maybe someday. And I look back and some of the, the I mean, those are, that's the story that shapes. And I see God providing and sustaining and bringing joy and then even bringing blessing now to where our family is today compared to where it was. As my mother wasn't perfect, she never would claim that, but it was quietly faithful. We need those stories, don't we? We need them to inform our walk with Christ. We need them to help us when everything seems to be against us. It's these kinds of stories, this beauty from ashes, um, this, this good out of pain that God has always known that we've needed. Well, as we'll come to read later in our open here kind of journey this year, um, we will see that Israel was in bondage to Egypt. And not just for a little while, 400 years in bondage. And in those years of bondage, they're hearing Egypt's stories. They're seeing and coming to know about Egypt's gods, and they're interpreting God's world, whether knowingly or unknowingly, through an Egyptian lens. And so Israel needed a renewed imagination. They needed to be able to see the world as God 
had ordered it. They needed to be able to hear the true stories of what God was doing in the world and for his people, revealing himself. And so the Holy Spirit moves within the prophet Moses to write the book of Genesis. Yes, he writes Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But the Lord moves within Jonah, uh, Jonah moves within uh, Moses to write Genesis and to begin reforming the imagination of his people. He begins to tell the stories of their origin. He tells the stories of their chosen brokenness. He tells the stories also of God's persevering promise to forever choose and intervene for the good of his world. That he was not giving up on his people and his creation. Well, Moses, this morning, he ends this book of beginnings with a story that takes up quite a few chapters. Some of you have been reading it this past week. Um, it's a very famous story. It's always grabbed the, the vision of God's people. You see, the biography of Joseph. The biography of Joseph, it's a story Israel so desperately needed to hear. It's a true story. And it's a story we need to hear as we make sense of what God is doing in our own story. It speaks a better word than this world can ever offer. And the big idea that we see in the story of Joseph, the big thing that God's telling us through the whole story of Joseph is that God is for us even when everything else seems against us. God is for us when everything else seems to be against us. In our text this morning, we find Joseph and his family in tension here in Genesis 50. They've never really been the model family, uh, and, and which, is, which has never really stopped God from doing magnificent things through brokenness and broken families. And in chapter 49, Joseph's father, Jacob, he gathers all of his sons together and begins to bless them one by one, which is similar and common within the custom of the day. And then... He gathers his sons together and also forces them to promise that they'll go and bury him in this burial plot that they bought from the Hittites a while back. It's all the way back in the place they used to live before they came down to Egypt with Joseph. It was a place where Isaac and Jacob, or Isaac and Abraham, were buried. And so after he calls and he makes his sons promise that they are gonna, they're going to bury him back in this homeland. He strangely pulls his feet up into his bed, lays down, and dies. This is where we meet Joseph. This is where we meet his brothers this morning. And they arrange a good old-fashioned family road trip. And you know how family road trips can always bring the best out of our families, you know? Riding together, squeezing together. And, and, and a trip, this trip is very purposeful. It's to accomplish the promise that Jacob made Joseph and his brothers do. They're going to bury Jacob. And Genesis 50, verse 14 reads, After he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. And this is where we're going to enter in. It's this long walk back from Egypt. What are the two things that really help us to spend moments in remembrance and in reflection? Death and long walks. And Joseph and his brothers are experiencing them both here in our text. So they begin this journey from the grave site all the way back to Egypt. And you can imagine the memories that are flooding through Joseph and his brothers' minds as they walk in silence. 
You know, Joseph, he remembers back over the years of his life. I mean, this is a familiar trail for Joseph from Canaan down to Egypt. This isn't the first time he's walked this path, and it stirs up some old wounds, you can imagine. So slowly, as he's walking from Canaan to Egypt with his brothers, he begins to remember his own life journey, working through those memories to see how God was weaving a beautiful tapestry for his good purposes and good promises. So as they're walking, you can imagine Joseph sees his son, walks, his son's walking beside him. And then he thinks about how he used to be Jacob's favored son. Highly favored. I mean, he received special clothes. He got special digs and special opportunities. He had special privileges over his brothers, even though he was younger. And this didn't always go over so great with his brothers. And then he remembers he also had those dreams. Those dreams that were so vivid, they were so real. And all of his brothers, his mother and his father, are surrounded bowing down to him. Now maybe he was just too young or too arrogant, or maybe a mixture of both at that time, that when he shared those dreams, it was highly offensive and very hurtful to the rest of his family. But in his dreams, God was there working. Meanwhile, if we continue back down this journey, you can imagine Joseph and his brothers and the whole clan stopping to grab a drink of water out of the well. You know, it's a long journey from Canaan to Egypt. And as they reach down to drink out of the bucket, Joseph dazes out for a moment because he remembers when his brothers had had enough. They'd had enough of Joseph being daddy's special boy. They'd had enough of Joseph, Joseph, Joseph. They'd had enough of his special clothes and his private, you know, grandiose dreams. So they ambushed him in a field, stripped him of his clothes, and threw him in a pit, similar to this well, but without water, and sold him to a traveling uh, slave trader who was heading down to Egypt. But in his slavery, God was there working. Joseph remembers, you know, arriving into Egypt for the first time. He's young and he's scared. He used to be the highly favored one in his home, but now he's nothing more than a piece of meat. And he catches the eye of one man, the captain of, uh, Pot- of, the, of Pharaoh's army, Potiphar, and he sees potential in this young man. And through time, he sees that he was right, and he was, he was banking on his money there, and he totally got his investments worth. Joseph remembers working so hard for Potiphar. I mean, early mornings, late nights, well, well into, you know, the moon has rised. And he's working so hard that finally he becomes the top slave in, 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 Potiphar's, in Potiphar's home. As Genesis 39.3 says, his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. He rose in the ranks But God had more in mind for Joseph than just to be the top slave. But it wasn't going to be smooth sailing getting there. You see, Potiphar's wife also saw potential in Joseph. Um, (laughs) She also saw someone she desperately wanted, someone she needed, someone she so desperately wanted to be with. And you could almost see Joseph as he's walking from Canaan to Egypt get a cold chill down his spine as he remembers those longing stares of Potiphar's wife, and trying to hide so desperately from her outreaching arm. Well, the day finally came where in her anger she screams out and accuses falsely Joseph for the very thing he would not give her. 
He remembers how his words meant nothing. Absolutely nothing. He's a slave. She's the owner. What are his words in this economy? But in his humiliation and in his false imprisonment, God was there working. It was after being in prison for a while that he finds himself, at least at that point by chance, so he thought, to come in contact with Pharaoh's cupbearer and also his baker. Joseph still remembers how God had given him the opportunity and the wisdom and the ability to interpret the dreams of these two young men. The only thing he hoped and he asked is that they would remember him once they got out of prison. They get out of prison and Joseph waits. And he waits. And he waits. And no word comes. I mean, how could they forget? Joseph had done them this huge favor to bring them peace and even guidance on what was to come. But in his abandonment, God was there working. So finally there came the day when Pharaoh kept having these crazy dreams, right? He kept having these crazy dreams that nobody could interpret and give him guidance on. And at that point, the cupbearer remembers, ah, there was this man named Joseph in prison. And so Joseph, after such a long time, has finally remembered and is wondering, why now? What is God up to? Well, God empowers Joseph then to interpret Joseph's dreams and even gives him wisdom on how to respond to the situation that the dream is portraying. And Pharaoh sees the same thing that Potiphar did in Joseph. He sees God is with this young man. So Joseph, even looking back on his days, is so amazed that in one day, he goes from being in the depths of the dungeon to being second in command of the world's biggest government, the largest nation, the most powerful force in the world at the time, Egypt. And in his remembrance, God was there working. Well, in this journey from Canaan down to Egypt with his brothers after the burial of his father, Joseph pauses and he looks around at all of his brothers. And he remembers the first time that his brothers made it to Egypt after he'd been sold into slavery. His last memories of them were of, him stripping, of them stripping him of his beautiful coat and selling them to a slave trader, never to be seen again. But now they came to Egypt. There was a famine. It was probably the worst famine in decades, maybe even centuries, as we look at statistics and records. And they come asking for bread or they're going to starve. They can't recognize Joseph. He's so different. They never would have imagined him to be in this position. But Joseph sees them clearly. And you can, Im- you can imagine the unbelievable power at the fingertips of Joseph. All the availability to finally enact those dreams of revenge. But through a series of interactions, God was working on Joseph to maybe do one of the most difficult things in his whole life. Forgive his family. God had been working in him throughout a series of events to prepare him for such a time as this. And in his reconciliation with his brothers, God was there working. So Joseph, he finally finishes recalling this past, walking this familiar path once again, amazed by all the coincidences and how God was weaving it all together. And he finds assurance that even though his father is now gone, God will stay with his people 
working through all these pieces of pain to accomplish his promises for both Joseph and his brother's ancestors. But Joseph isn't the only one journeying from Canaan to Egypt, is he? His brothers begin to remember as well. And uh, they remember this long walk to Egypt in a different way. During the long walk, they interpret Joseph's contemplative interactions and his, you know, his hiding as something, possibly planning some plot of payback or revenge. And they think back on Joseph, Joseph's life and how they treated him. How when he was such a, just a little boy, they resented Joseph for his dreams because he ruled over them. They are the ones who stole his clothes and sold Joseph into slavery. They are the ones who rightly deserved for Joseph to hate their guts. And there's also the fact that Joseph rose to power through what? This crucible of abuse and pain? What greater factory to build dreams of revenge is there? And now the only thing that was possibly keeping Joseph from revenge His father, Jacob, is dead and gone. And so his brothers, they fear the worst. And in Genesis 50, verses 15, right after this journey, the story continues. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Out of fear, they send a messenger, right? They're back in Joseph's turf, back in Egypt. And so they're afraid to even come before him. And that's what fear does. It distances us from those who are around us. And so they have to send someone else to talk to their brother. Their fear is so great. And on top of that, out of their fear, they also lie about their father. Nowhere in Scripture and nowhere in this story are we told that Jacob told his brothers that Joseph was to promise that he was not to enact his revenge. And as a matter of fact, if we look throughout the whole story that that covers multiple chapters here in Genesis, nowhere do we actually see the brothers confess to Jacob what actually happened to Joseph. All they say is, we found our brother Joseph, he's still alive. Never is there a moment throughout the whole story where they confess to their father that they're the ones who sold him into slavery. So it's quite strange that Jacob would miraculously come up with this promise. But only they know that. Joseph doesn't know that. And you see, when we're afraid, when we're so afraid and and fear takes the driving, uh, takes the wheel, we see manipulation And lies easily become its product. And the product of manipulation and lies is brokenness and destruction. Well, what's Joseph's response to these words? He weeps, the text says. He breaks down in crying. I mean, have they forgotten that he forgave them? Haven't they seen how he's already provided for them and moved past the past pain? when his brothers finally build up enough courage to actually present and come before Joseph, Joseph invites them to see, through a, see his story, their story, through a different lens rather than fear. He asks them to see through the lens of faith. Rather than fearing the worst, Joseph trusts God's best. 
And let's see here in verse 19. But Joseph said to them, what? Do not fear, for I am in the place of, or am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. I mean, looking back on their story, Joseph sees not only his story, but God's story. Really, he sees God as the main character in his own narrative. His trust in God's presence and work for his good and for the good of his promises even brings his brother's evil intentions into perspective. Our world's brokenness cannot break God's good promises. Our world's brokenness cannot break our good God's good promises. And so we see, just case in point, that at the, at the very dawn of time, when humanity fell into brokenness and sin, God has always worked through broken human beings to miraculously bring about his good purposes. He's bigger and stronger than our problems. And that even chaos bows before our good and almighty God of order. A renowned historian and theologian, N.T. Wright, helps us here when we're wrestling through this issue of evil. He says, Somehow, strangely, and to us sometimes even annoyingly, the Creator God will not simply abolish evil from His world. Yet, we should say, the question that swirls around these discussions is why not? We are not given an answer. We are instead informed in no uncertain terms that God will contain evil, that he will restrain it, that he will prevent it from doing its worst, and that he will even on occasion use the malice of human beings to further his own, what sometimes seem to us, strange purposes. Joseph's understanding of God and the stories of his promises helps him interpret his past pain. He trusted God was for him, every, even though everything seemed like it was against him in his own life. One way we could put this is is that instead of asking, how do I make sense of my faith in light of this pain, Joseph asks, how do I make sense, how do I make sense, whoops, there we go, how do I make sense of this pain in light of my faith in God's goodness? We see our pain in light of the lens of faith. We don't look at our faith through the lens of pain and begin to question it. It's advice, it depends on what lens you're looking through as your primary lens. And Joseph here, he's looking through all the past problems, all the pain, all the confusion through who God is and what he's promised to do, rather than looking through all his pain, his confusion, and his questions, and then asking who God is. But Joseph not only looks back through his faith, but he also looks forward in faith. In the second half here, there's a hinge when we get to verse 22. He knew the stories of God's promises, and he was banking on them to keep the story going. So looking forward in their story, Joseph trusts God will continue to work and be present in later generations beyond him. So let's look in chapter 50, verse 22 once again. So Joseph, he remains in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years, which to Egyptians was a sign of a very full and blessed life. That's the unique nature here. That's why the author puts 110 years. 
And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Joseph doesn't imagine Israel's future is going to be all roses and buttercups. He knows it's going to be full of thorns and briars. But because of how God has worked in his own story, his imagination is wild with the possibilities on how God is going to continue to fulfill his promises to his people, no matter the hard times that are ahead. And so, emphatically, we could look here in this text that's in your welcome folder or in our scriptures, where Joseph says twice to his brothers, God will visit. He will, the Hebrew word is there, pachad. He will pachad you, which is this language of presence, like right there with you, and a delivering presence. He's not just there watching, but he's there working. In the midst of the pain, in the midst of the heartache, he will be with you to bring you out. When things get rough here in Egypt, God will not abandon his promises. And he's saying, you need to hear this. You need to remember the stories. You need to remember who your God is. And this is why the writer of Hebrews, if we look forward here in the New Testament, he writes specifically about Joseph in this one instance. This is, out of all of his life, this is the one aspect he highlights as an aspect of faith. When he says, by faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave direction concerning his bones. Faith is the assurance of the things we hope for, right? The conviction of things not seen, as Hebrews 11.1 tells us. What do we not see? We don't always see the answers to our questions. Things like, why am I going through this pain? Will the fighting ever cease? Will God ever deliver me from all my junk and all my circumstances? Faith is the assurance that the story will end God's way and for our good. Joseph knew the stories of those who had gone before him. He knew the promises. He'd experienced God working in his own story, and he had the faith that God is going to continue his good story of redemption after he died. He knew God was for his people when everything else seemed like it was against him. But what about your story? What about you and I? Now, it's true that each of our stories are very unique. We have our own problems our own set of struggles and challenges. You may even have your own set of questions and concerns. But we too can know that God is for us when everything seems to be against us. The same God who's working through Joseph's outrageous life, this same God is presently working in and through your pain, working in and through that rocky marriage, working in and through that overbearing boss, working in and through your struggling finances. We started off by saying that people need stories when life is crumbling down around us. And this is why. When we recall Joseph's story, it helps us see our own story with a clearer lens of faith. So remember those stories of those who have come before you. 
I mean, this is one of the reasons we read the Bible, to learn its stories, to hide them in our hearts, because we learn the histories through when God has revealed himself through others' experiences. We get to learn about our great God, what he cares about, what he's like, how he gets his purposes and his promises fulfilled. We get to learn what he actually does in history and what he waits to do later. We learn to see what God's intervention actually looks like. And it helps us recognize his working in our world around us today. This is the joy of God's word. This is why we read it. This is why we're going through it this whole year through the story of open here. So we can remember the stories of those before us. And then we can recognize or see God in the story around us. It's when we have a better grasp of who God is in this story, Scripture, that we can more clearly see Him working in our story today. Scripture is a gift that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and his brothers didn't have. They they didn't have that story. They were experiencing it, yes, but they didn't have it written and compiled like we do today. We have the stories of God and what he's done and is doing throughout history so we can recognize what he's doing in us today. And those stories we recognize, yes, in the stories like my mother and her quiet faithfulness through years of just committed faithfulness to God. Sometimes they are miraculous. I still remember when I was in seminary, I was working as a butler. I was serving as a worship pastor And I was also taking quite a full load at seminary, and I was asking the question, okay, how on earth am I going to pay these bills? (laughs) Going into ministry, you don't want to have debt. Uh, You don't want to have that hanging over you. And then I also had, with my education, an opportunity to work with what's called Exodus World Service. Um, It worked uh, with refugees coming into Chicago and was able to team up with those families and help be that acclimating agent uh, and friend in the midst of a lot of newness. And I remember one night when I was just overwhelmed with my finances and I just spent a moment in praying to God. And I just said, God, I need some help. <laughs> I'm worried. I'm anxious. I'm nervous. And, uh, but I've, I've gotta go. I'm going to go. I'm going to go help, I'll be with this family and learn from them and grow with them. And when I finally got to their apartment complex, I get in the elevator and this elderly woman gets on with me. And she looks up at me. And I still remember it. It's very vivid. And we're going up to the third floor, and she just looks at me and says, God's going to take care of your finances. (laughs) Now, that doesn't happen every day, okay? You know, God sometimes works that way. He works many more times, I've seen at least, in in the, the committed faithfulness through the everyday. But every now and then, he busts in. And at that moment, I said, okay, thank you. Tried to play it cool. I was like, what in the world? So she gets off the elevator, and I'm holding back the tears. I was like, God, thank you. I just needed that. That day, he knew in my weakness that I was not handling that situation very well. And he spoke a good word into my life through this elderly lady in the midst of an apartment complex while being with a very vulnerable family. We hold on to those stories, don't we? Because they remind us of God working in our life. And we reach out in those moments when it appears darkest and we remember those stories. To remember that God is still for us when everything seems against us. When we can't see past the pain, 
we can remember that God has not abandoned his children. When we're overwhelmed by the choices we have to make that are before us, we have so many choices in our culture and always trying to figure out what's the right decision, but remembering that God is going to still be there with us and for us. And not just because of the story of Joseph, but because God has actually entered our story. C.S. Lewis, he gives this analogy where humans are like Hamlet and God is like Shakespeare. If Hamlet and Shakespeare were ever to meet one another, it could not be from Hamlet jumping out of the story to come and get to know Shakespeare. Shakespeare has to write himself into the story and actually weave a journey where they meet one another. The onus is with the author of the story. And in a similar way, God himself has written himself into the greatest story ever told. God entered the world of man as a man. He lived the life we were designed to live. He was falsely accused. Sounds a lot like Joseph. He endured the shame. He went through excruciating pain, died the death we deserve to die. But rather than staying in the grave, he rose again the third day that we might finally have the food that our souls long to in a world of famine. What the rulers of Jesus' day meant for evil, God meant for good so that some might be made alive. You see, Jesus is the true and the better Joseph. He's the one who's at the right hand of the king who forgives the ones who have betrayed him and sold him and he uses his power to save us. Ultimately, because of the story and the person of Jesus, we can know that God is for us when everything else seems against us. So keep listening to the story of the gospel. It's so easy to forget, and we need to hear it over and over because we then gain a spiritual form of dementia. We forget what he's done for us in the past, and without this historical context, We lose sight of what his actions in the present mean. We feel estranged from God because we don't understand him and we don't know what he's doing or why he's doing it because we don't remember what he's done in the past. And when we forget who God is, just like Joseph's brothers, we become afraid, fearful, when God is doing some pretty difficult things, actually, in our life, in us and around us. We become destructive in our panic and we turn to manipulation and lying rather than trusting and looking at our lives through the lens of faith. So hear God speaking to you in his role in your story this morning. In Psalm 55, verse 22, God says, Cast your cares on me and I will sustain you. We may reply, I'm afraid. But he says in Genesis 26, verse 24, Do not be afraid for I am with you. We may say, but you don't understand my circumstances, God. What do you know about my struggle? In Romans 8, 28, God says, I work for the good of those who love me. We may say, but I feel so alone. God says in Deuteronomy 31, 6, I will never leave you nor forsake you. No matter what's going on in your life, look back and see the gospel. No matter what's going on in your life, look around and experience the gospel. God knows your story. He's entered your story. And he's still for you when everything seems to be against you. Let's pray together.
Our Father, we come to you thankful for your love and your mercy. We're thankful for how you've cared for us throughout the pain. We're thankful for the stories of how you've worked throughout history. We're thankful for Joseph and how we see ultimately you working in his biography. We don't just learn about Joseph because he was a really neat guy. We learn about Joseph because we get to know you better. And we ask, Lord, that you would continue to reveal yourself in the stories of Scripture as we read this week together. That you continue to reveal yourself in the stories of our own faith journeys. And that you would bolster our faith. That we might have the eyes to see you and trust in your intervention in the days ahead. Thank you, God, for coming. Thank you for dying. Thank you for rising that we might have life and life abundant once again. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.